Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Reese Show, where we interview experts to help you understand where technology is headed and how it will impact society as a whole and also your daily life. Thanks so much for learning with us and enjoy the episode. Hello. Today, I chat with Pankaj Jain, who is a managing partner at Sokka Ventures and had previously led and been part of the Indian tech scene for more than a decade, like 10 to 20 years. And we tell a story about what that looks like and how, you know, if you want to understand Indian tech, uh, Pankaj is a great person to understand it from. And so we look at, you know, Bangalore versus Delhi versus Mumbai. And we look at the kind of, um, you know, uh, uniform uh, payment interface, UPI, and how that enables new kinds of financial tech within India. And then we look at, you know, compare India to China and also compare India to the rest of the you know, think about the markets that are after India. So as you start to build things in India, how that then leads to um, Africa and Southeast Asia and the Middle East. And so, you know, instead of this U.S. Indian kind of pipeline um, and kind of supply chain there, instead, you can think about these new tech products that are being built in India that then spread to the rest of the world and then maybe eventually get to America. But it's like, it doesn't need to go to America first. So it's cool. I think I think India is roughly, if you do the math, you know, 10 years-ish behind China, which is, I don't know, you could call it 10 to 20 years behind kind of the US. And it's just cool to see, I mean, all the massive amount of work that's happening there. I mean, it's 1.4 billion people. And you just can, you can feel that in, um, they're already making, you know, printing tons of unicorns and building great products. And then in 10 years, you know, as the GDP goes from uh, $2,000 per capita to um, $5,000 per capita, it's just going to keep on going crazy. So it's an exciting conversation. And I hope you enjoy learning about tech in India with Pankaj. Hello, Reese's Pieces. I'm Reese, the co-founder of Root, and welcome to The Reese Show. This century is a turning point in human history, and I'm here to help you navigate it. I hope you come away with a new understanding of our scientific, technological, and societal trends that are poised to radically reshape our world, and how you can work with those trends to become a live player in building a solar punk future. And today, I'm excited to chat with Pankaj Jain. Pankaj was the founder of Startup Weekend in India, then a partner at 500 Startups focused in India, and is now a managing partner at Sokka Ventures, which is a seed stage, you know, firm targeting or a firm targeting seed stage startups targeting a global market, and is based in New York, but it's probably still thinking about India. Uh, Pankaj, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Thanks, Reese. I appreciate it. Good to yeah. be here. It's exciting. And, and Pankaj just got back from a, a three-week trip um, all around the world, so we're just we're blessed to have him. And he's he's jet lagged, but he's still here, which is exciting. No, it. Uh, I'm excited to do this, and uh, the trip was great. So, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, exactly. I think just for a note for both for you and for myself and for the listeners, it's like, you know, the goal here is to kind of tell a story about, um, you know, you know, tech around the world, and especially tech in India, and like how you know your in, your you know engagement there over the last kind of more than a decade. And so, for us and listeners to understand what's happening in India what's going on and then how what's going to happen in the future so that's kind of the big kind of story arc and i guess i wanted to start first before we actually get into your 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 trip um you know in the last three weeks i actually want to start at the beginning where it's like how did you start to get into the indian startup industry you know you know 10 years ago and what was it like back then what what were you doing and what was the kind of industry like you know a decade ago wow we're 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 really going far back and i'm going to date myself uh (laughs) but you know, I uh, I had started my career on Wall Street uh, many many years ago, and uh, it was uh, it was great. I was blessed to have like uh, an opportunity to work with some amazing people uh, very early in my career. Uh, but over time, I kind of got tired of Wall Street, and I wanted to go on to do something else. And uh, I m- wound up moving to India in 2007 to do a startup. Uh, I was trying to build something along the lines of TaskRabbit and Upwork for working class people. Um, and the idea was like, you know, can we provide better jobs and better opportunities for uh, folks that are unskilled Um and, you know, India with a very large population, uh, people are always looking for work and people are always looking for workers. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good market opportunity. And uh, without doing as much homework as I probably should have in hindsight, <laughs> I, uh, I convinced my wife to uh, quit her job and we moved to India. Um and, you know, in hindsight, it probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world uh, to do, but 
uh, you know, there's only 5 million internet users in, in India at the, uh, in 2007. Um, but, you know, I went about trying to set up a company, uh, look for co-founders, uh, hire people and kind of doing all the stuff that an early stage startup really needs to do. Uh, but, you know, really stumbling a lot along the way and trying to figure a lot of things out. I had never lived in India before that. So just getting used to living in India was one aspect of the challenges that I was trying to deal with. Yeah. Live in um, India and do a startup. It's like that combo is tough. You know. Yeah. It's like, you know, let me have brain surgery and heart surgery at the same time. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, it, it was an incredible experience from the perspective that I got uh, like a, a really quick introduction to what's going on in India at that time. And uh, it was, there was a lot of people trying to do stuff, but there was no real communities formed yet. And, um, you know, partly out of my own need, I just started looking for other entrepreneurs. I started looking for other people in tech. I was living in New Delhi at the time and New Delhi, not the tech capital of India, uh, but the actual political capital of India wasn't the best place to start building a community, but it's where we chose to live. And, uh, you know, we started uh, jumping around, trying to find online as well as offline uh, communities to be a part of. Uh, fortunately, I was able to find a couple of folks really, really early on uh, when I moved there and, uh, you know, started doing some small events uh, and got involved with Bar Camp. Uh, Bar Camp was kind of a big thing, the unconference uh, in the mid uh, 2000s. And uh, through that, met up uh, with a bunch of folks that were spread out across Delhi, Mumbai, and Bangalore. And we started a nonprofit called Head Start, uh, Head Start Network Foundation. And the idea was really to just promote entrepreneurship across India um, in 2008, 2009, uh, where there were no communities, there were no people really trying to bring other founders and investors and people curious about startups together. Um, so, you know, we started Head Start. Head Start is now, uh, unofficially it's over 15 years old. Officially it's about 14 or 15 years old. Um, it's still running. Uh, so we, one of the initial flagship events for Head Start was called Startup, uh, Saturday. And I, uh, ran Startup Saturday Delhi for many years and, uh, you know, come, 2010, I kind of felt like the ecosystem was starting to evolve. There were a lot of startups um, that had been raising money. Uh, there had been a lot of angel investors that were coming in to uh, take on that initial risk capital. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of founders had evolved and there were different challenges that founders or the community should have been trying to solve. So I had been in New York. I attended Startup Weekend. Uh, in New York. And I was like blown away. And I was like, this is what we got to do in India. Uh, convinced folks to let me start it in India. Uh, so I founded Startup Weekend in India in 2011. And, you know, soon afterwards, uh, about a year later, accidentally became a VC. Uh, so, you know, and, you know, then it kind of went from there. But that's kind of how I wound up in the Indian startup ecosystem and getting involved really, really early when there really wasn't a community uh, in Bangalore, Delhi, or Mumbai. Um, that's great. So fortunately, you know, got there yeah, early. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's kind of, it's cool. Hey, it's like a classic, th those things. I love, I love that piece. Also, there's like a Paul Grahamism about just have like, when you're younger, you do things that are kind of like, just like dumber, which is great, you know, for startups where you're like, you're like, look, let's just go to India. Let's move to Delhi, you know? And it's like, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's yeah. be kind of like in the end, it obviously worked out. It was very, you know, it was cool. And, and I guess one other question for you is like, are your, um, are your are like you like your names uh, like are, are like were you born in America or you were your parents born in India or how what's your mm -hmm. like history there? Yeah, so my, my parents are immigrants. My parents moved uh, to the U.S. Uh, many many decades ago. Uh, so I I was actually born in India, uh, but I left India when I was three months old. So uh, for all practical purposes, yeah, I grew up in New York City and New York City's home. Yeah, great, great, great. Yeah, that um, 
And I think it's interesting too. I think that the thing that you were talking about, it, the, it's just like the, the, you know, trying to time the market. Um, and I'm thinking about like general magic and how general magic was trying to build a start smartphone before um, all the tech was ready. And then there's another version of that, which is trying to build a um, something like Upwork for India before the, um, before ad- the adoption of smartphones and technologies, right? Where it's like, Oh, there's only 5 million smartphones in a, in a, um, you know, 1.5, almost a, you know, a billion to 1.5 billion person country that might not be enough penetration. Um, so that's yeah. kind of makes sense as you're trying to build, you're like, Oh damn, there's just, there's not enough. And then all of the kind of networking stuff that needs to occur that makes a place like New York or a place like, you know, um, the Bay area, like really work, um, you know, had to get kind of kickstarted at that time. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. And then just tell us as a, you know, from an outsider looking in, if we're trying, and I guess I'm a, I'm a most outsider and probably most of the listeners are, are even more outsiders. I, I lived in Nepal for three months and then lived in India for a month, mostly in, hmm. I was in Delhi, Varanasi and, and um, uh, Dharamsala doing it with like Tibetan folks, um, and, which was great. And so, but I haven't, I haven't been to Bangalore. I haven't been to Mumbai. Tell us more about like, if I'm a, you know, a noob, you know, just like dumb American <laughs> trying to think <laughs> Um, how do I think, how should I think about tech in India? And I like, I know there's the IIT things. I know there's, uh, I know Bangalore is a tech hub, but like, how, how should I think about like, what are mental models for understanding India? Yeah. You know, India is a very complex place and <laughs> it's a, it's a very fast moving and evolving place. And yeah, the Americans want it simplified, you know, give us, a, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no simplification, uh, when it comes to India, you, you got to immerse yourself in the complexity and love it. Otherwise you will, you will have to leave very quickly. Um, you know, so uh, Delhi being the political capital of the world um, and also a place where after India became independent, uh, a lot of refugees flocked to. Uh, when India was partitioned into Pakistan and India, a lot of refugees uh, came to India, uh, came to India and Delhi specifically and created a mindset where business was really important. A lot of them just had to start business, small businesses, because there was no jobs available at that time, right? So uh, Delhi became a place where, or has become a place where people really know how to hustle. People know how to uh, do business. Um, And you know, it's it, it, there, there's still a lot of the small business mindset there. Um, so a lot of very successful entrepreneurs have come from Delhi, uh, not tech entrepreneurs, but you know, historically in uh, since independence, a lot of uh, successful entrepreneurs came from Delhi. But um, over the last, I want to say, 35 years or so, maybe a little bit longer, 40 years, um, Bangalore has slowly developed into first a outsourcing hub. And eventually, more of a tech startup hub. Um, and so, almost every major VC has an office in Bangalore. Um, most of the big tech companies in India have either been started from Bangalore or wound up moving to Bangalore, uh, barring a few big ones that are still in Delhi. Um, and really, it's just become you know this like if you just took like Palo Alto and University Place, University Avenue, and kind of just compressed it, uh, or actually, if you blew it out into a whole city, uh, that would be Bangalore. Um, There are cafes on every corner. You just sit down anywhere uh, in the city and have a conversation with somebody about a startup. There's somebody else at the next table who will chime in and have something to say because they're also in the tech and startup world. Mumbai is a little bit different. Mumbai has been the uh, professional banking uh, type of environment, uh, and it's 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 been a city of merchants for many years. It's a port city, and eventually that built into a banking system. It is the financial capital of India, um, and because it's the financial capital, there's a lot of professionalism in the way business is done there, which is very different from the small business mindset that Delhi has. There hasn't historically been a lot of tech in Mumbai, but over the last 15 years, a lot of the current unicorns have uh, started in Mumbai. Some of them have stayed, but many of them have wound up moving to Bangalore uh, just because it's easier to hire talent. There is an IIT uh, uh, in Mumbai, uh, a lot of successful entrepreneurs have come out of IIT Mumbai. Um, IIT Delhi as well has produced a lot of unicorns and a lot of unicorn, unicorn founders. So 
you know, I, I used to say very frequently when I lived in India, I was like, you know, if, and this is when, uh, way before there was a hundred unicorns, maybe there was like five unicorns in India at the time. Um, I, I used to say, you know, if we took half of the business sense uh, and the hustle that people have in Delhi, and we took half of the in- incredible engineering talent that we had in Bangalore, and we kind of made them migrate to the other cities, we would have two incredibly amazing uh, startup ecosystems, sort of like the Bay Area and New York City. Yeah, that's interesting. That's great. That's a good. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, and kind of mapping the amount. So thanks for that overview. It's like, yeah, it makes sense that a, you know, Delhi being in the Northwest, you know, that when the partition happened that, um, yeah, Pakistan is right there. And so a bunch of kind of, um, you know, refugees and folks coming to India came there and that you have, yeah, that you have a lot of hustle in Delhi, a lot of bottom of hustle. Also the government is there. And so I'm thinking about, um, yeah, it's not, it's not like Washington DC. DC is kind of a weird thing. It could be kind of, it sounds a little bit in some ways. Um, I'm thinking also about like Beijing, Shanghai and, um, like Shenzhen in 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 uh, china and so it's like okay i'm kind of mapping those and then obviously bangalore is just like the hub you know where it's like everybody network effects it's building on top of them i'm thinking about something like um you know obviously like silicon valley or new york i'm thinking about something like shanghai um and then also it's interesting yeah mumbai it's kind of like yeah interesting it's like financial capital vibes like kind of like new york city a little bit um and so a little bit like more uh yeah, a little bit older school. so so and tell me actually a thing about bangalore which is you know it's down south um, does that how does that play a role here because india is obviously a massive um place and the north there's more english the south there's more different languages that what's the weather like in the south like how how does like bangalore's position in the south like change its um change whether people live there or not yeah um you know so i think bangalore because the weather is beautiful all year round became kind of the destination of choice for a lot of uh, U.S. expats that were returning back to India. Uh, some of them had come here for college. Some of them had started big businesses here and decided to move back, whatever. Um, and the weather was just amazing, or it still is. Uh, you never needed an air conditioner in uh, Bangalore. And until recently, you didn't even need a fan. Um, it was just perfect weather all year round. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why a lot of people move there. There And yes, you know, Culturally, India is an extremely diverse place. Um, people don't think so, but it is. Uh, people look very different. People speak very different languages. There are v- lots of very different customs across region to region. Sometimes even within the same state, you'll find that you know uh, there, there's, there's a lot of differences between folks. Um, Bangalore has kind of absorbed a lot of that. And a lot of people have just made Bangalore home. And, you know, so I think that's had a positive effect in some ways, but there are Bangalore natives who have lived there before the tech boom um, that suddenly feel like their city has been overrun. The infrastructure is not keeping up with the influx of uh, housing and uh, office space and people. Uh, roads are very narrow. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to get around in Bangalore. It's not easy. Infrastructure is not the best. And in my opinion, it's getting worse. Um, whereas I think, you know, Delhi is a little bit different. I think the infrastructure is far better in Delhi, generally speaking, than it is in most of the other cities in India. Uh, but Delhi is a very hard place to live. It's not an easy place to live. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me think about, yeah, the weather. It's so crazy how much the weather. I'm just like, you know, I I live in San Francisco and it's like the weather here is extremely good. It's just like sunny almost all the time. Very chill, never too hot, never too cold, you know, like very nice. And I'm looking at the the Bangalore weather. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, in most of the year, it's like, you know, a high of, you know, low 80s, you know, low in the 60s. And then and then for a little bit in April, May, June, it might get a little bit above 90, but like overall extremely pleasant and so it's just it's funny how that really is a is a is a draw for folks and that it, it is part of the network effect of like if you have the talent plus the weather plus the blah 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 then it all kind of adds up um yeah and then i guess you know thinking about so we know that this 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 end some in some ways like the end of the story which is like um you know this uh you know we have you know we've gone from five unicorns to 100 unicorns you know we have you know bangalore obviously has this big tech up today tell me a little bit more about that middle decade um you know, as you were starting to start up, you know, startup weekend in the early 2010s and then 500 startups, what did it look like? And I'm thinking about like how tech hubs around the world get built in something like, you know, Silicon Valley or whatever, where it's like, you know, or in New York, these angel investor networks start to show up. 
um, you know, you know, is, is as people have unicorn exits and they, um, you know, are, how many how many folks were like moving out of India at that time to like go and like build their startup in the states? Tell us about the kind of the quote unquote middle decade there. Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting when I moved to India in two thousand seven. Most of my friends thought I was crazy. Um, and they thought it was just like, why are you doing that? Um, it, it made no sense to a lot of my friends and, um, even some family members, it made no sense. Um, but I, I, know, I, I, I love that by the way, cause yeah, it's, it's such a vibe. I was there in 2011 and even people have this like funny and you were there in you know, 2007, you were actually moving there. People, they, they probably thought of it like Indiana Jones style where it's like, to going to India, you know, and now we're in yeah. such a different reality where it's like we all have it baked into our minds. Like, oh no, like India is obviously there's amazing stuff. So yeah, that's I just that's a funny kind of two different frames thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, and you know, it's it's funny because a lot a lot of my friends who are of Indian origin also thought I was nuts for moving to India. Um, <laughs> but you know, w- when I got there, I, I I started realizing that I wasn't alone. There was a lot of folks like me who were born and raised in the US or Australia or Germany or the UK that were moving to India for the first time. And they weren't moving to India because they had family there or they had relatives that they needed to go and spend time with or take care of. No, they were moving there because they saw that there was an opportunity. And, you know, yes, I have extended relatives in India, but, you know, none of them are doing what I do. And, you know, they're very different. But, I moved there because there was an opportunity and a lot of these other folks that I had met while I was there um, were looking at these opportunities and many of them were not even of Indian origin. Uh, that was, to me, was one of the uh, the most interesting things. One of the uh, founders of ZipDial back, uh, I can't remember when she started ZipDial, but she was one of the founders of ZipDial, uh, Valerie Wagner. And... Um, you know, she moved to India uh, probably around similar time frame to join a startup and you know she 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 graduated from Stanford GSB and then moved to India to uh, work at a startup and eventually started her own company and eventually she, uh, it turned out to be the first acquisition that Twitter had made in India um and there was a lot of people like her that uh I, I was meeting so you know this uh in the 70s and 80s India had this uh idea of the brain drain where some of the smartest and brightest people in India were leaving India because there weren't opportunities. And, you know, in the seventies and eighties, we had a lot of doctors, uh, in the U S that came from India because there was a lot of opportunities and we needed doctors in the U S. Um, what I saw in that middle 2000, 2010s was a reverse brain drain started to appear. There was a lot of people that were looking for opportunities that were trying to do something interesting. And they saw India as a possible place to do that. And they were going to India and they were starting it, uh, starting up over there. They were looking for jobs, all kinds of stuff. So that was one thing. Um, and that was a group of people that were not necessarily of Indian origin, as well as people like me who are of Indian origin. So that was really interesting where you had like suddenly a lot of people with uh, diverse talent and diverse experiences moving to India uh, and they were welcome with open arms. Right. Uh, that, that was another really interesting thing. Um, it was also a time where you started seeing the first angel networks popping up. Uh, some of those angel networks were uh, started by entrepreneurs from previous generations in the 80s and early 90s that had had some success and said, hey, let's start figuring out a way to build a comparable ecosystem to the Bay Area or um, Israel in India. You know, the, the raw talent is here. How do we do that? And there was no real place for risk capital in India at that time. So angel networks like Indian Angel Network and Mumbai Angels were two of the earliest um, angel groups that started funding deals uh, really, really early. And a lot of, uh, a couple of the unicorns, um, early unicorns in India were funded by these groups. Uh, that also started, gave, uh, so, sort of gave rise to the opportunities for um, people to start their own VC firms. They had been angel investing for a little while uh, and they started seeing some successes, uh, you know, it, uh, until recently, those successes were small. Um, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the average valuation for a seed stage company in 2012 was about maybe $150,000, $200,000. Um, you know, and 
when I started investing at uh, 500 in India, uh, a lot of my fellow VCs were complaining to me that uh, we were screwing up the marketplace because we had jacked up the valuations too much to a million. Um, you know, but you know, we started seeing a lot of things starting to change around the time that Flipkart was founded. Flipkart was founded in 2010. And, you know, I think, I forget when they raised their series A, but I think they raised, um, their first large round from Tiger around 2012. Um, so e-commerce started moving pretty quickly, uh, around 2012, a bunch of e-commerce companies and pivots into e-commerce, um, started popping up Mintra, Snapdeal, a couple others. Um, and so e-commerce was that first wave of startups that started raising large amounts of capital and Flipkart eventually became the first, uh, massive unicorn, uh, to be acquired by Walmart in 2018. So I kind of look at what's gone on in the Indian startup ecosystem as uh, founding a flip cart to exit a flip cart. That was one uh, slab in the middle. Before that and after that, very different. So the bell curve kind of looks like 2010 to 2018, where valuations were slowly rising, um, you know, 2015, so a massive uh, drive towards food tech and investing in all kinds of food tech uh, delivery apps and things like that. Most of them have uh, withered away and died. And some of that is cultural. I think, you know, I still kind of believe that uh, India is a place where if you want something delivered, the restaurant will deliver it to you within a certain radius. Uh, and the only reason that a lot of the food delivery companies were doing well was because they were subsidized by the VCs, right? So you, hey, order some uh, Domino's pizza and you'll get, you know, a discount if you use this app, right? So you got to use this venture funded app to get the delivery. And, um, and then, you know, I think late uh, 2015, 16, and early 17, you started seeing a little bit of a push towards AI and, you know, moving beyond the um, initial business models that uh, people were trying to copy from the Bay Area, right? E-commerce being one, social, there was a bunch of companies that were trying to do social in India for international markets that didn't work so well. Uh, but then you saw the next iteration of social for vernacular Indian content, which a lot of them have done well. Gaming started really taking uh, hold, I would say around 2017, 2018. Uh, crypto also started becoming uh, really interesting in 2018 and 2017 in India. A lot of exchanges popped up during that time. Uh, most of them have uh, unfortunately died. Um, and some of them have kind of uh, reincorporated outside of India. But, you know, there's been a lot of changes that have happened over the last 15 years. And, you know, when people ask me all the time, like, you know, how different is India today versus when I first landed there? And you, you really can't compare the two places. They, they are vastly different. Um, and there, there's almost nothing that you could say is like, yeah, this is similar to what it was like, um, 15 years ago, other than perhaps, um, the 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 drive that founders have uh to really build amazing businesses yeah yeah well i think there's there's a um it's also interesting too because i think that the um you know the i think orienting around Flipkart makes a lot of sense it reminds me of like orienting around um something like uh alibaba in um in in china where it's like that was a crucial hub for talent it was a crucial hub for um, you know, the, the big exit, obviously, later. And it's like, you know, that was in the early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And so you can kind of imagine then over that decade. And so I imagine kind of Flipkart kind of like a little bit like a decade, uh, not necessarily quote unquote behind that, where it's like, okay, Flipkart 20 set, 2007, it starts, it starts aggregating tons of talent, blah, blah, blah. And then it exits to Walmart, um, you know, in 2018 for, you know, for 16 billion bucks. And so it's like, it's a big kind of that kind of journey and thinking about that journey as like a big, the first really huge, huge um, kind of unicorn and decacorn to come out that makes like a lot of sense as like an orienting frame for, for those middle years. So tell us about like the, um, 
you know, if we imagine um, we're here, you just got back from this trip to India um, yeah. and, and also the Middle East as well. Tell us about like, uh, you know, um, back in the day, it was a, you know, what is it, you know, a cow town or, you know, it wasn't exactly that, but now it's, you know, this um, burgeoning metropolis and all these tech folks. Tell us about like what kinds of things you were seeing in, in Bangalore today and or around India. Yeah. What, what were you seeing? What were you excited by as you were out there? Yeah. So I, you know, I think one of the most amazing things that I've seen, um, between 2016 and today happened in India is the digitization of money and transactions. Um, you can send as little as a penny or a fraction of a penny to anybody in India, uh, for virtually free today. Um, you know, with the UPI, um, system that has been built uh, and kind of promoted by the government and kind of mandated to all banks to support, digital payments is no longer a question. You don't have to ask somebody, hey, are you on Venmo? No, I'm on Zelle. Well, my bank doesn't support Zelle. Uh, How do I get you money? Can you send me a check? Yes. Okay. Right. And 15 days later, maybe your check gets cleared. Uh, That's gone. It's it's a thing of the past in India. Like you, you walk up to any merchant, it could be a street vendor, um, and he's got a little QR code uh, on his little cart that you just you know scan, and you could pay him instantaneously. And it's not like there's a minimum that you have to pay. It's a very small minimum. A lot of the unbanked has have become banked now um, because UPI sits on uh, banking infrastructure. Um, so that opens up a whole new world of opportunities for uh, the unbanked to get into the financial system, whether you're talking about uh, insurance, you're talking about uh, lending services, credit, all kinds of stuff. So I think, you know, to me, that is really, really exciting. I'm also really annoyed that I can't participate in that because uh, I, I, I don't have um, all the requisite pieces in place in order to to participate but you know for for folks who live in india they are part of you know that whole infrastructure adhar which is the uh biometric uid um infrastructure that everything else is kind of being built on top of it's amazing like you you really don't have to think about payments anymore um what also is really interesting is, you know, a couple of founders that I've been talking to are trying to build financial services, f- especially for women. Um, uh, you know, I, and I met with two female founders who are building these solutions. One of them is uh, focusing on more of the urban uh, young professional that is uh, looking for more control over her finances, more uh, access to investment opportunities, credit, et cetera, et cetera. And another one is building something similar, but more for the bottom of the pyramid um, where people, women that aren't necessarily uh, exposed to financial, um, traditional financial uh, infrastructure like we, like we think of, but, they're typically the, the the bankers in their homes, um, and they manage the home finances. Um, so that that was an interesting thing to see, like how that opportunity is so massive. And you know, India is going to be the largest populated country in the world, I think, by twenty twenty five, with one point four odd billion already. Um, yeah, it's it's just a massive opportunity uh, to build stuff over there, and. You know, the, the thing that people don't necessarily understand is uh, India is still very much a developing country. There's still a relatively low uh, uh, per capita GDP, but that per capita GDP is growing rapidly. And a lot of the uh, aspirations that people have are driving um, the need and the the desire for solutions that we take for granted over here, right? Like you, you, you. Everybody has a smartphone in India. Doesn't matter if you live on, you know, five dollars a day or five thousand dollars a day. Um, you have access to the same infrastructure, uh, financial infrastructure now. So that's been really, really interesting to see. Um, 
travel is another thing. Like I, you know, I, I, I was blown away by the just sheer number of people that were tra transitioning or traveling through uh, Delhi airport when I was there. It was unbelievable. Like I haven't seen it that packed and that busy in, in a very long time. Um, you know, people from all over the world, as well as domestic uh, uh, Indians traveling everywhere. So I think the travel industry is like, you know, everywhere we're seeing a massive boom in travel, but India specifically, I think domestic travel and folks that weren't necessarily traveling before. Like I, I, I was talking to somebody in Bangalore the other day and, uh, you know, there, there was a domestic worker um, who had never been on a plane before. Um, but, you know, he, t he still takes the train to go to his village and all, but his family, he puts on a plane and they travel on a plane. Right. And this is, uh, something new for a lot of people. So I think, you know, all of these things are really exciting to see. And when you put it into context, you're like, wow, you know, here's somebody who might be making, let's say, you know, $5,000 uh, a year in salary. Uh, and meanwhile, his whole family is, is, is traveling on a, uh, on a plane to different parts of the country and experiencing things that they never would have before. So the quality of life for a lot of people is increasing very rapidly as well. Yeah, that's cool. It, um, I mean, yeah, again, I think it's like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, yeah, so when I think about like, yeah, I mean, the GDP per capita here, it's like, yeah, you look, you know, um, in 2000 in India, it was roughly, you know, less than 500. It was, you know, and now it's, you know, over 2000, almost 2500 um, in USD GDP per capita, while someone like China is now at something, you know, like 12,000, um, you know, GDP per capita. And so it's like, that's kind of a, you can kind of think of them as, and, and is it like a frame that I'm coming at this from is just kind of like, that India, and this is kind of like maybe too much of a negative frame, but maybe I, like it feels true to me or something that like India, and I know there's also massive differences here, but like, you know, thinking about India versus China, it's like that like India is kind of like quote unquote 10 years behind China or something like that. And then like, is that, is that an okay frame? How does that frame feel? So, you know, India is a democracy. It's yeah. a very messy and complicated democracy. And, um, you know, there, there are, always things that can be done much faster when you live in an autocracy than when you live in a democracy. Um, and there's a lot of self, uh, self-interest, uh, or special interests in, in a place like India that have a voice and they'll stand up and say, well, no, we don't want this. And we don't think this is good. Like religion is you know, like, you can't touch anything that has, uh, has an effect or, or has an impact on people's religious views, right? It, it, you just can't do that in India. In a place like China, the government can do whatever it wants, right? So if they say, hey, there's going to be a road going through here or there's going to be an airport built over here, it doesn't matter if you live there. You get out or it gets built over you. That can't happen in a place like India, right? Uh, and just like it can't happen here in the US. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are pros and cons to it. Development is slower. Development is less of a straight path. Uh, it is more of a winding road. Um and, but I firmly believe that a lot of the policies that, uh, not just this government, but, you know, the India, it's uh, at a very macro level has implemented around education and uh, uplifting women over the last decade. Those are all really good things that are going to play out over the next 20 or 30 years. Um you know, some of the, uh, I was talking to somebody when I was in India and he was telling me that 80% of the world's chip design, semiconductor chip design is done in India, right? 80%. That's massive. And that doesn't include the uh, Indians that have uh, jobs at Intel or NVIDIA outside of India that are doing chip design, right? This is just within the borders of India. Um Right. When you when, when you start looking at stuff like that, you start realizing like the 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 focus on education for the first uh, 70 years since independence is really taking root now. And it's really starting to flourish because there are opportunities domestically now. People are choosing to stay. A lot of young people are choosing to stay in India and build that future. So it's going to be slower than China, for sure. 
but I have no doubt that it's going to be an incredible journey. And it's going to be, you know, uh, if not the third largest economy in the world uh, in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be a massive place that is going to create a lot of opportunity for a lot of folks. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think it's like, it's, it, I think it's a, yeah, it's obviously in the in there's actually a good you um you know uh, on your uh twitter there's this great um thing that you took from from your recent trip of you know india to drive of you know a fifth of all global growth by 2030 you know uh gdp per capita going from you know 2300 to 5200 you know all these uh you know gdp overall going from three trillion to eight trillion so it's like there's a there is going to be this massive all the education all the kind of latent human capital that's there is is going to go big and it's also it's cool to know like the specifics of india around like the um the upi the unified payments interface where it's like i remember when that came you know whatever five-ish years ago 2016 when it came out it was like okay cool um is this thing actually like i was just like kind of like skeptical that it was gonna work or something but it sounds like it's like it's it's all systems go um which is awesome and so yeah. it's like it's cool to know those specifics around the infrastructure there um how do you think about like one question that i have is like you know why is it the case that and it, and it might just be um or let, let me know. Yes, yeah, so we have like roughly ten minutes left. And let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I think, what I want to ask is like, um, so in India, um, or I guess, I guess I can go up a couple different places here. The first place I actually want to go is so. How do you think about your investing? You know, at Saka Ventures, what percent of you know? How do you think about the global market? What percentage of your investments happen in you know the U.S. or Europe or China or India versus other places? And then are, are there specific things that that come into play as you're doing these kind of more global um, investments? Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to get into too much around Saka's thesis, um, you know, just because of uh, SEC rules and, and all that. But, you know, personally, the way I look at it is, the world continues to get smaller and smaller and we're, we're seeing that opportunities are no longer limited by geographical boundaries uh, as much as they were five or 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and I think countries like India are really poised to benefit greatly in that environment because there is a very large diaspora around the world. Um, Indians, because historically really had to fight uh, to survive, they have uh, a certain grit and they're ready to move to any part of the world and really, really work hard. Um, so, you know, I think when I, when I put that into kind of the context of investing globally, um, you know, I think between the education, the grit and the hustle, I think you have a opportunity here for startups in India to really build amazing businesses uh, around the world. And, you know, if we if we just look at the evolution of uh, large uh, tech companies in the US and how many of them have uh, moved to um, focus on the Indian market over the last couple of years and see it as a large market, I think domestically as well, you know, China is still a closed market for most businesses. Most businesses can't go to China. Now, India still holds on to a lot of its socialist beginnings um, uh, from a from an economic perspective. So, yes, there are licenses and all that stuff. But the Google of India is Google. The Facebook of India is Facebook, right? Like Twitter of India is Twitter. There's no homegrown uh, company that is competing with the domestic uh, or the larger global players. Uh, so that, that's a big opportunity for uh, businesses around the world to also look at India as a massive market. And I think, you know, as uh, a lot of geopolitical things shift over the next decade or so, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of business opportunities going to India, as well as a lot of opportunities coming from India and going to places like Africa. I think, you know, Places like Africa, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia demographically are much more similar to India than Western Europe or the U.S. Uh, economically as well. So I think there's a, that opens up a whole new path for companies today that are focused on domestic Indian markets to kind of say, okay, uh, 
our product or our tech isn't really something that's going to work in the US, but it could definitely work in Africa um, and it could definitely work in Southeast Asia. So I think that's another opportunity that you're starting to see is um, people are looking at other markets that were typically ignored as uh, as big opportunities for Indian companies to go into next. Um, so as an investor, that makes things a lot more complicated. It makes things a lot more difficult. You have to kind of look at a lot of different areas geographically uh, and then kind of really hone in on something that you think is, is something where you have an unfair advantage. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, it's like thinking about that, that kind of um, progression of, yeah, it's kind of obviously a two-way street where it's like, you know, all of the um, uh, all the, the CEOs of some of the of all the biggest, uh, many of the biggest um, tech companies in the U.S., um, you know, obviously Satya from Microsoft and and others are, are it's like they're, you know, Indian, um, uh, Indian board folks or whatever. And so it's like, and so you could, there's kind of this like back and forth. And then also, as you know, I think that's a smart way to think about it, where it's like these um, startups, as they start to scale, it's like, oh, okay, like this startup, it makes sense for their expansion plans or whatever to be towards Southeast Asia or the Middle East or Africa, both geographically and socioeconomically and culturally, instead of going, okay, what's the next market? Oh, let's just go to the US. It's like, oh, that might not make as much sense. So that's that's an interesting kind of frame on how like the go to market there. So so I guess as a final wrap here, I want to ask a couple of um, underrated and overrated until uh, so you could just... Um, give me the uh, I'll, I'll say the thing and then you can give me the like 30 second version of like hey this is overrated or underrated and here's the you know one or two sentence version for why uh so okay. let's start with um iit is iit underrated or overrated oh that's a tough one and i could get a lot of uh hate messages for this <laughs> um you know i think just like any other place in the world uh, depends on the context. In some cases, yes, IITs are overrated. In other cases, they're not. I think from the perspective of the alumni networks, they are probably underrated, significantly underrated. Uh, from a purely practical education perspective, I think they might be a little bit overrated. Um, so there's a lot of really raw talent, uh, talented people that go there. Um, and when they're given great opportunities, they shine. But if they're kept in a box, they don't. Yeah, I love it. I think that, what that makes me think of also is just like some of the education in the U.S. where it's like you go to business school and the business school doesn't really teach you anything. It gets you into the club and you go on these trips and you do all this networking. And so the alumni network becomes really good. Um, and so it's, it, it makes me think of that, but, but a very technical version where it's like, yo, bringing amazing folks into it. The filter gets great people in, and then the education, not that great, but then the alumni network, amazing. Um, okay, great. Yeah, what, not uh-huh. to say that the education isn't great. It is great. Uh, and I don't want to... I meant, relatively speaking, I think the alumni network is far better. That's, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, yeah, exactly. It's underrated. <laughs> overrated. Yeah. No, good, good save, good save. Um, what do you think about Bangalore as a tech hub? Is that overrated or underrated? Ooh. Um, I think it's underrated from the perspective that most of these companies are still trying to figure out a lot of things that could be, could have significant global impact. Um, and it, it's underrated in the sense that, you know, in infrastructure is not as great as it could be or should be, but everyone's still building uh, heads down and building some amazing companies. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That is it's underrated in that yeah everybody's even though the infrastructure is not great like people are just there and like building amazing stuff and then it's a little bit overrated in the sense that did i hear that like the the actual like global impact of it thus far has is 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 oh no no i i I meant it was underrated in the sense that uh people are building some amazing things like you know uh, i invested in a robotics company over there that is uh building like a countertop chef um there's another company out there that is building uh probably the largest electric um ev bike uh network and uh just manufacturing uh, anywhere, right? And so these are things that people don't necessarily talk about as much. So it's underrated. Got it. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Or yeah, it's just like, yeah, man, so many, 
so many amazing startups all around the world. And then I guess this final one is, this is kind of a weird, but yeah, I guess that the kind of, um, if you think about like China and Africa, or actually, yeah, what's, what's the right way? Yeah. It's like, um, you know, again, from a, from a kind of a Western kind of American focused lens, it's like, okay, when you think about these other startup hubs, there's China, Africa, and India, you know, how do you think about them in relationship to each other and whether they're kind of the new markets there, whether they're overrated or underrated? Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, China is, uh, I still think it's an underrated market. Um, you know, but it's a very closed market. It's a market that most of us don't really have a whole lot of insight into and, uh, very few of us can actually ever compete in China. Um, so I think the opportunity itself is underrated, but it is also overrated because most of us are never going to get access to it. Um, right. So Africa, on the other hand, I think is a significantly underrated opportunity still. Um, people just starting to scratch the surface of uh, what can be done in Africa. Um, I think China has been very smart and they've kind of started in Africa really early, um, not necessarily from a tech perspective, but more from a, you know, hard infrastructure perspective. Um, but I think even on the tech side, there's tremendous opportunities in, in Africa um, over the years. So I think it's significantly underrated. India, I think, is underrated from the perspective that um, a lot of the solutions are being built by Indians are going to be transportable to other parts of the world. And that percentage of the world is actually much larger from a, a demographic perspective than uh, the West, right? So I think that is a massive thing. Like even Latin America, it's probably more similar to India uh, economically and uh, demographically than um, most of Latin America is to the US. So, you know, I think that's the underrating of the export of Indian tech where it can go right right yeah. now we're just looking at like the India US corridor for the most part but i think that is really india to the world i love it yeah i love that and it, and, it, and hopefully it'll be part of a thing over the next um 100 years where america gets less and less important and other places get more and more important and and that'll be part of the corridor not just being a pure us corridor um well thank you again uh, pankaj for coming on today if folks want to check him out there's um uh, he's on Twitter at P Jane. That's P and then J A I N uh, on Twitter, and definitely check him out if you're building something amazing in India or really anywhere in the world. Um, and yeah, do you want to say anything else to our listeners today, by the way, Pankaj? No, uh, you know, feel free to touch base with me on on Twitter. I do check my DMs and try to respond to folks on a regular basis, uh, uh, and I definitely prefer using Twitter over LinkedIn and yeah. some of the other more uh, complex. Uh, privacy intrusive uh, social platforms but yeah definitely uh, hit me up on twitter beautiful uh well thank you again so much today pankaj and thanks for everybody for listening goodbye thanks so much for listening today if you like the show please give us a five-star podcast review or subscribe on youtube and if you'd like to chat about this episode with a community of amazing smart ambitious divergent people come on by and join our discord you can find it at root.co. That's R-O-O-T-E.co. And then finally, if you'd like to contribute to these ideas being shared more widely in society, you can support the podcast production team at patreon.com slash Reese Lindmark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thank you so much.